Good morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to be in chapter 8 of Nehemiah. The last week in our study, we saw that despite the opposition of the surrounding nations, the Lord empowered His people Israel to finish the wall surrounding Jerusalem. The completion of this wall was a major step forward in the reestablishment of God's kingdom following the exile. And However, the wall was just one step in this process of rebuilding God's kingdom. And the real work had only just begun. Up to this point, we have seen that the Lord has brought His people back to the land of Israel from exile. He led them in the rebuilding of the temple through the ministry of Ezra. He empowered them in the rebuilding of Jerusalem's defenses through Nehemiah. And yet, the most important work still lay before them. The work of rebuilding the citizens of the kingdom. Now, I would argue that church buildings are important and that architecture plays a role in our generational discipleship. Throughout the history of the church, Christians have given sacrificially to build magnificent structures that display the glory and majesty of our God. Our forefathers in the faith saw the value of spending generations to build a monument unto God's glory. Today, we may behold cathedrals like Westminster and Salisbury and Notre Dame that witness to this truth that outward structures are an important part of the discipleship of God's people. We also have the privilege to worship each Sunday in this sanctuary that a hundred years ago was built with a vision that went beyond the current generation. And despite the transitory approach the church today takes concerning such things, we should affirm that just as temples and walls were important in the reestablishment of the kingdom in Nehemiah's day, so too are sanctuaries and pulpits and edifices today important as well. But they are not the most important aspect of the church. They exist for a higher purpose than themselves, for a purpose that goes beyond architecture. The most important, the central reason that these buildings exist is to provide a place and a context for the people of God to be built up in the faith. You see, we build spaces so that we might live out God's word that says that we are to be like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, we do need places. We are not disembodied souls, our intellects. As much as the digital world is pushing us more towards this understanding of the human person, we are embodied souls. But those places are there so that we, the citizens of the kingdom, might gather to be built up together in our knowledge of God and of His gospel to the end that we would glorify Him. And this is what we see in our text for this morning. The temple 
and the wall have been rebuilt. The place has now been provided. And now the people gather together to be built up in the word of God. To be transformed from a group of individuals to a united body living in obedience to the Lord. We began our study of Ezra and Nehemiah because we felt that we as a church needed guidance and direction for this next stage of our church life together in rebuilding the church following the struggles of the last several years. We needed to be taught how we might go forward in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. And what we will see this morning is that if we would see the kingdom of God established and growing in this generation, then we must be a people who are built up by the Word of God. For walls come and go. Buildings are constructed and demolished. The temple was built and rebuilt and yet was destroyed yet again. Earthquakes and fires, wars destroy the most glorious of cathedrals. Kingdoms of this world rise and fall, but the Word of God endures from generation to generation. So hear now the Word of the Lord. Nehemiah chapter 8. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Maaseah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Melchizedek, Hashem, Heshbadanah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Benai, Sarabiah, Jamin, Echeb, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Maaseah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law, while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is 
holy to the Lord our God. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we come to you and we declare the truth that heaven and earth will pass away. But the word of the Lord, our God, will never pass away. So almighty, gracious father, because we know that our salvation depends upon our understanding of your holy word Give to us hearts that are not distracted by the things of this world, but rather hearts that hear and believe your word. Give to us diligence and faith so that we can understand your will correctly. Help us to cherish it and live by it so that you may be glorified and we may be satisfied in you. And we pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As we come to our text for this morning, the first thing that should strike us as we read these words is that if we would be a people who are built up as a spiritual house unto the Lord, then we must be a people who receive the word of God with reverence. What do I mean by this? What I mean is that we must receive the word of God as just that. A word from God himself. And as a word from God, a word that is to be respected and honored. Look down at the second half of verse 1. It tells us that the people of Israel told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. The important thing to see here is that phrase, that the Lord had commanded to rightly respond to the word of God. We must begin with the conviction that the Bible is not the writings of men. It is not the suggestions of theologians. It's not a collection of ancient Near Eastern myths. The Bible is the very command, the very word of God. It has been breathed out by God and through the agency of human beings like Moses and David and Ezra and Isaiah and John and Paul and Peter. God has ensured that what has been recorded for us in human language is truly the word of God itself. What scripture says, God says to us. Even as Second Peter says, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Or in Hebrews chapter 1, that God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets. And so when the people of Israel gathered together and requested that Ezra read from the book of the law, they were in fact requesting that Ezra would speak a word from God. Do you know this? Do you believe this? That when we gather together as God's people and hear the Bible read, we are a people who are hearing God speaking to us. 
Growing up, I remember arguments that I would have with my older sister, and they would rarely go my way. She's four years older than me, and so she wasn't going to listen to me when I said that it was my turn to pick the movie or to ride in the front seat of the car to get the last slice of pizza. Yet, as all younger siblings know, there is a trump card that you can play. You see, if I said, I want to pick the show, well, she didn't have to listen. But if I said, Dad says, I get to pick the next show, well, then she had to listen. Because if Dad said it, then it had authority. Dad's word had to be respected. And on Sunday morning, when I climb the stairs to this pulpit, I come not saying, I want you to listen to what I have to say. Listen to the clever things that I have come up with this past week. Rather, I come declaring to you, this is what God says. You see, you can ignore me. You can ignore my words. You can ignore my opinions. But God's word cannot be ignored. We all must pay attention when God speaks to us His people. And He speaks when His word is proclaimed. And therefore, the people were willing to pay attention to God's word for six hours as we read in verse 3. Therefore, they built a wooden platform, a pulpit that was raised up so that the people could see and they could hear as Ezra stood to read the word to them in verse 4. Therefore, in verse 5, we see that they stood as Ezra read the law as a sign of respect for the law. And therefore, they lifted their hands and they bowed their heads in response to God's word in verse 6. Not because they honored the man Ezra. Not because they worshipped a book. But because they knew the man Ezra came on behalf of God. And the book from which he read, while made with earthly materials and written by fallible men, is the divine, infallible, inerrant word of God himself. And if we would be built up as a people of God, then we must receive this word with reverence and honor. Even as Paul speaks of the Thessalonian church, when he says of their reception of the gospel, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work within you believers. You see, if we would be built up as a people, we must receive the Word of God as that, as God speaking to His people. And asking this question of how To rightly receive the Word of God, we must receive it with reverence. But second, we must receive it with understanding. Sometimes these two things don't go together. People are willing to revere the Bible 
even though they don't understand what it says. But if we would be built up, we must have both reverence and understanding. If you look at our passage for this morning, you will see the central importance of understanding playing itself out in the text. In verse 2, we see that those who gathered were men and women and, quote, all who could understand what they heard. And in verses 7 and 8, if you look down there at the text, we read this. The Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. You see, to receive the word of God rightly, we must receive it with this understanding. This is why it is so important that we gather together on Sunday mornings to hear the word of God preached. Because we not only need to hear it, but we need to have it clearly presented, explained, and applied to our lives. Anyone who has been here for any time knows that it's my practice throughout my sermons to continually refer back to the text, to say, look down at the text, look at your Bibles. Why do I do this? Well, because it's important that you see and that you understand God's word, because that's what preaching is. It is helping God's people clearly understand understand what God is saying to them in his word. It is not enough to allow the waves of God's word to wash over you. You need to soak it in. You need to understand what it says and how to live it out in your life. Now, in our text, it was very important for the Levites to explain God's word because much had happened to Israel in the thousand years since the law had been delivered. There needed to be contemporary application because from the time that Moses had received the word of God, much had happened. The people had been established in the land. The kingdom had grown. David had received the covenant promise through God. Exile had come upon the people because of their disobedience. And now they have been brought back to the land that God promised them. God's redemptive purposes have been going forward. You see, God's word remains the same. But as his purposes are fulfilled, our understanding of his word must develop as well. And as those who stand on this side of the cross, we know that to have a proper understanding of God's word, we must understand that it points to and is fulfilled in Christ. In Luke chapter 24, we read that the resurrected Jesus taught his disciples Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. You see, to rightly receive the word of God, we must understand that all of it is centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. All of God's word speaks of him. And if we don't know that, then we have not received the proper sense of the Scriptures. 
That every word speaks the name of Christ. And if you don't hear His name, then you don't understand His word rightly. When April and I go through a drive through at a restaurant, fast food restaurant like Burger King or Bojangles, she always has to act as an interpreter for me. I'm not sure if it's my hearing or an accent or something, but when the voice comes over that little PA system and I ordered a number one and they want to have some clarification, I can never understand what they're saying to me. It just sounds like wah, 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 wah. And I always like look over at April. I'm like, what do we got here? What's going on? For some reason, she can understand what's going on. And she'll help me out so that we get the order correct. And while we might hear the word of God, if it is not made clear to us that all of it is pointing to Jesus Christ, to his life lived in obedience to God, to his death to free his people from the punishment of sin, and to his resurrection as the fulfillment of all God's promises of salvation, then it is just this gobbled mess of wah, 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 wah. Second Corinthians, Paul speaks of those who read the law of Moses and don't understand that it points to Christ. And he says that if you read the law of Moses and don't see Christ, then a veil remains over your heart. But then in verse 16, he says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. God's word is rightly understood only when it points us to Jesus Christ. And to receive God's word rightly, we must receive it with this understanding. Because faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of God. You see, if we would be built up, we must receive God's word with reverence. We must receive it with understanding. And the next thing we see is that we must receive God's word in faith. Look at the second half of verse 9 of our text. It says that following the word being read and explained to them, once they understood the word of God, it says all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Here we see that the people of God have understood the word. They've believed the word. Even as the crowd on the day of Pentecost, they were cut to the heart as they understood God's word. As the law of God was read and explained, the people of God realized that it was speaking to them and that they were guilty before a holy God. They realized that in thought and word and deed, they had broken God's law. And so they wept. And if we would receive the word of God with faith, we must begin with the acknowledgement that we have disobeyed his law. But second, to receive it in faith, we must see That this message of God's word is not only a message of our guilt, but it is also a message of God's work to save us. There was the bad news 
We have broken God's law and we are guilty before Him. But there is good news that those who believe are forgiven sinners. For Romans chapter 6 tells us the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Repentance is the first part of responding to God's Word in faith. But it must move from grief over to sin to faith in God's forgiveness in Christ. That is why we read in verse 11, the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. A right understanding of God's word does not end in grief. Rather, it ends in rejoicing because while God's Word exposes our sin, it also reveals to us that the blood of Christ covers over our sin. And if we would be built up as a people, we must receive this truth in faith. We must receive the truth that we are truly guilty sinners deserving of God's punishment. We should weep as we read the law of God because we see in it a mirror of who we are and we break God's law continually. And yet, to receive it in faith, we must see that Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life of obedience on our behalf and that He went to the cross and died of our sin might be covered and the righteousness of His life might be given to us so that we might be received by the Father and we might rejoice before Him. For if we do not understand and receive the Word of God in faith, we will not be built up. But if we repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, as a people we will be built up. For we need to receive the Word of God with reverence, with understanding, with faith. And the final thing that we see is that we must receive God's Word with obedience. Look at verse 12. We see how the people of God respond. It says, And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. You see, faith in God's Word, believing God's Word, is demonstrated through obedience to God's Word. The people of God heard that they were to celebrate the feast, and so they obeyed. They went and they ate meat and drank sweet wine, and they made sure that those who were unable to take part in the feast were provided for as well so that the whole community could take part in this feast. As we go forward into the rest of chapter 8, we see that the people continued in obedience as they celebrated the festival of booths in obedience to God's law. And when we respond to the word of God in faith, We repent of our sin. We believe that Christ died to save us from the penalty of sin. And we obey with joy the word of God. There seems to be confusion within the evangelical church today. We know that we must have 
faith in Jesus Christ to save us from our sin. But in some way, we have allowed this idea that that obedience to his word is somehow just an appendix that we can add on if we want to. That it's not central to faith in Jesus Christ. But you cannot separate obedience from faith. Because the Spirit was given to you that the law might be written upon your heart. The Lord Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. We are saved by grace alone. Yes. We are saved through faith alone. Yes. But grace that writes the law on our hearts and faith that leads us to obedience. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, number 90, asks this question. How is the word to be read and heard that it may become effectual to salvation? The answer, that the word may become effectual to salvation We must attend thereunto with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Receive it with faith and love. Lay it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. Obedience to the Word of God is not optional. It is central. And if we are to be built up into the people of God, then we must Practice God's word in our lives. We must respond in obedience to believe and to do what God commands. As the people of Israel stood before their newly finished wall of protection, they may have felt a little discouraged. They had put all of this effort into building up this wall. They had worked hard to make sure that they would not be taken into exile again, that they would be protected. But as they read God's word, they must have realized if we fail to obey God's word, then this wall will mean nothing. For when the Assyrians came for the northern kingdom, no wall held them back. When the Babylonians came for Judah, it was this very wall that they were standing before that had been torn down. It is all for nothing if the Lord is not on our side. Walls may stand for a generation, but as we can all attest, even the strongest of walls will crack and will fall and must be rebuilt. And yet the teachers of God's law encourage the people in verse 10, do not be grieved for the joy of of the Lord is your strength. The word translated strength there means fortress or shelter. It is rather clear what the Levites were saying to the people. This wall that we have just completed is not our fortress. It will fall one day. We do not put our faith in walls. For our strength, our fortress is the Word of God itself. Do not rejoice because we have a wall, but rather rejoice because we have something stronger than stone. We have the Word of God itself. And it's building us up as living stones. 
And therefore, we must respond with reverence to it. We must embrace it with understanding, receive it with faith, and we must live it out in obedience. For when we receive the Word of God in faith, then we receive our fortress, our salvation through Christ alone. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you now and we thank you that you speak to us in your word. We pray, O Lord, that we would receive it rightly and that we as the body of Rivermont might not put our trust in walls, in buildings, in budgets, That we might not put our trust in the outward things that we could see, but rather that we would see that our strength is our joy in you. Oh, would you build us up in this strength. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.